Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. It's Mardi Gras season in Louisiana, in a year like none other. The coronavirus pandemic brought an abrupt halt to annual balls and parades, and donning a mask has taken on a whole new meaning. But that hasn't stopped revelers from finding safe and innovative ways to celebrate. On this week's show, we learn about a new tradition perfect for carnival in quarantine, house floats. Devin DeWolf tells us about the crew of Red Bean's latest initiative, which hires laid-off carnival artists to transform homes into works of art. Then, T. Martin shares how they're spreading Mardi Gras cheer both inside and outside of the iconic Commander's Palace. And children's author Johnette Downing explores who put the baby in the king cake before Sally Asher and Melissa Vandiver introduce us to the mermaids of Mardi Gras. Coronavirus won't keep them from coming ashore. We're celebrating our irrepressible carnival spirit on this week's Louisiana Eats. From the avenue to the back of town, in New Orleans, the carnival season is always about social gatherings, parties that range from formal masked balls to rollicking reunions on the neutral ground. It's the time of year when families and friends share the silly fun that is Mardi Gras. And of course, there's always a lot of eating and drinking to be done. Drive down St. Charles Avenue on any carnival weekend, and you'll see smoking barbecue pits, lots of Popeye's fried chicken boxes, countless king cakes, and ice chests doubling as seats and impromptu parade viewing stands. Everywhere, everyone is eating and imbibing while waiting for the next parade to pass by. This year's COVID pandemic has brought all of that socializing to a screeching halt. Well, almost. This carnival, instead of waiting in the streets for the Mardi Gras floats to pass by, we're all passing by house floats instead. Or are they float houses? Whatever you call them. This concept is a new take on a storied tradition. You see, back in November, Algiers resident Megan Boudreaux decided to decorate her front porch as a float, thinking on Mardi Gras Day she'd toss throws to anyone happening by. Hoping to get her neighbors involved, she floated her plan on Facebook, and that's where Megan's idea really took off. Within days, she was hearing from house decorators across the city, 
and then the state. Today, there are house floats popping up in 35 out of 50 states and as far away as Europe, Australia, and even the United Arab Emirates. As of this week, the crew of house floats number over 7,500 members and a map was published revealing the locations of more than 3,000 house floats. Evidence that even the coronavirus can't tamp down our Mardi Gras spirit. So go ahead, pack up your favorite Mardi Gras foods, gather together the members of your social bubble, and plot your own parade by checking out the map at crewofhousefloats.org. Take my advice. Don't miss the madness on St. Charles Avenue, where between State Street and Jefferson Avenue, you'll find a full-size Tyrannosaurus Rex on one lawn, while a whole circus of lions, tigers, dancing bears, and giraffes perform on another. The mystic crew of unicorns magically makes an appearance as fun and fantasy abound. That cruel virus has taken so much from us in the past year but not our carnival spirit. Now let's hear from a local parade organizer who has put a new twist on the house float concept, helping those who create Mardi Gras magic for us every year. I'm Devin DeWolf, founder of The Crew of Red Beans. Since the pandemic first emerged in New Orleans, activist and Red Beans founder Devin DeWolf has worked tirelessly to help uplift our city and cultural community. From March through May last year, The Crew of Red Beans kept frontline hospital workers fed while raising over a million dollars for local artists, musicians, and restaurants. They then shifted their ongoing Feed the Second Line initiative, which seeks to create a safety net for elders and at-risk culture bearers, raising over $300,000 worth of jobs so far. As New Orleans faces a paradeless carnival this year, Devin and his crew set up their latest project, Hire a Mardi Gras Artist, raising funds for laid-off carnival artists to turn people's homes into floats. Devin joined us virtually to tell us more about the program. Basically, um, right around Thanksgiving, a friend of mine who's a Mardi Gras artist reached out to me, and she said, look, uh, the city has canceled the parades, and what that's going to do is cause a series of layoffs for the Mardi Gras artists. And she said, you know, I, I saw what y'all did with Feed the Frontline, and maybe there's a way to do some crowdfunding and put those people back to work. So instead of, you know, a crew hiring the float builders to make the floats, what we're doing is we are crowdfunding and then hiring them to decorate people's houses. And this is creating basically Mardi Gras magic for the city of New Orleans, uh, as well as putting these artisans back to work. It's wonderful that so much enthusiasm has been created about house floats in general. That's what has really allowed us to take it to the next level. Explain to me what goes into turning a house into a float. 
It's a big project. It's really, you know, you have the designer who has to make a design based on the particular building. And then after the design is made, it's broken up into eight or nine different jobs because you've got your flower makers, your painters, your paper mache people. There's all these different skill sets that go together to create a design. After about two weeks, uh, it's ready to install. And then we have a team of carpenters who do the installation. Do the homeowners come up with the theme or how, how is the theme for each house being developed? So basically the homeowner helps us choose the theme. That's the moment that they have input. And then after that, we just get rolling. So they don't really have any say on the design because we had to streamline everything so much. You know, we had to be as efficient as humanly possible because normally these things are made in a year. And we're just doing it in, you know, two weeks. (laughs) As usual, just, you know, if it's Devin DeWolf, this man will get it done. So, Devin, describe for us some of these home artworks that are going up around town. So the first one we did was um, a house that was located next to a really large Dr. John mural. And so the theme of that house was the Night Tripper. And it's very kind of voodoo, dark, kind of swampy sort of vibe. After that, we installed one near uh, the fairgrounds. And the theme was really gardens and birds. So you've got your beautiful spoonbill and pelican. It's all about the flowers. And and that one's really spectacular. One that we've installed today is actually at Mignon Faget on Magazine Street. It's butterflies. (gasps) It's beautiful. I mean, they're all just phenomenal uh, creations. And it goes to the artistry. The artists that we have in our community are, are world-class artists, just like our restaurants are world-class. Now, this doesn't come cheaply. Tell us a little bit about the economics of house floats and how you all are tackling that. Yeah, it's um, it, it really is a pricey endeavor. I mean, to build a float, it's, it's honestly about $15,000 to do this per project. And, you know, we have other expenses like insurance, for example, that's a pretty penny. Um, We have to do a little bit of marketing and branding. And most of the money that we raise really does go into labor because we put 45 people to work on these things and that, you know, you got to pay everybody. (laughs) And uh, certainly there's material expenses as well. But, you know, we've never thought about what it takes to build a float before. It's always been hidden from us. <laughs> we just focus on the float as it passes on St. Charles Avenue. So it's good for us as a community to start to, um, you know, educate ourselves. What does it really cost? And that enables us to value the artists more because they're the ones that make it possible. Yeah, there's some pretty big bucks going down St. Charles Avenue on any average carnival day, huh? Yeah, that's right. And it's, you know, when you think about it, like, what is New Orleans? What is it that we have here? It's really our culture. That's the thing that we have that's an advantage over every other place. And, you know, does it cost money? Yes. But is it a great investment? Absolutely. Because it's, it's why we're here. And it's what makes us New Orleans. It's what makes us different from every other city. You know, out of disaster comes creativity and problem solving and solutions. And maybe this is a new thing for our city to celebrate Mardi Gras. It's certainly beautiful to create these home decorations. And I think it's something that might be here to stay. Okay, here comes the big question. Devin, founder of Crew of Red Beans, 
How are you going to spend Lune de Gras and Mardi Gras this year? <laughs> I uh, I don't know exactly. I mean, for Lune de Gras, we're going to broadcast the music of our parade at 2 p.m. on uh, WHIV. They're kind enough to let us take over their airwaves a little bit. So I'm going to definitely turn on the radio and listen to the bands that normally would parade with us. And I'm sure me and my family will um, don our little bean jackets and do a little safe promenade uh, perhaps with some bubbly or a Bloody Mary. Um, and I'm certainly uh, going to eat some king cake. It's going to be a bittersweet Mardi Gras, but I do think it's actually going to be one of the most um, meaningful and beautiful Mardi Gras that we've ever had in our life. I was not a resident of New Orleans post-Katrina, the first Mardi Gras. I was here for the, the one after that. So I wasn't here to experience that, but I imagine that the COVID Mardi Gras will be kind of in that same vein as the post-Katrina Mardi Gras. And I think most people would agree that that is a special moment in our city's history. It shows how tough we are and the fighting spirit of New Orleans. You can't stop us, you can't keep us down. You know, right now we're gonna stay safe and stay smart and do what we can to, to keep everybody healthy. But the day will come when we will throw down again and nobody throws a party like a New Orleans group. So. Uh, look out, world. Here we come. <laughs> Thank you, Devin. Happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras. Thanks for having me. And uh, ain't no bean like a red bean, as we say. <laughs> that was Devin DeWolf, founder of the crew of Red Beans. After Fat Tuesday, their float houses will be displayed at the Contemporary Arts Center, and individual items will be auctioned off to benefit Feed the Second Line. To learn more, visit HireAMardiGrasArtist.com. We speak with T. Martin of Commander's Palace. Commander's hired a Mardi Gras artist to transform the front of their iconic building into a fully decked out house float. Imagine angels and bread pudding souffles floating across that Commander's building, all as a tribute to the late, legendary New Orleans clarinetist Pete Fountain and his half-fast walking club. For over 50 years, Fountain and his crew met up at Commander's every Mardi Gras morning before making a lubricated musical stroll down the parade route. This year, that grand tradition continues. There's one tradition that's changed, though. The restaurant will be open for business on Fat Tuesday, one of only two days a year they're usually closed. T explained to me what Commander's Palace has been doing to get into the Mardi Gras spirit this year. Well, we got to do something for crying out loud, don't we? We got to we're going to find a way to celebrate safely and distanced and all that. But immediately when this idea of house floats came up, we recontacted our friends at Crew Red Beans, who we've supported from the very beginning, and we supported them when we were feeding the frontline medical folks, and then we're feeding the musicians, and now we want to help the float artists. Anyway, so we talked to Devin and that gang at Crew Red Beans, and, you know, they kind of get to do whatever they want 
But we said, listen, we do have Pete Fountain's half-assed walking club that's met here forever and are absolutely hysterical. And they were like, we got to do it. So it's very much a tribute to Pete's group and Benny Harrell and the whole gang. And we love those guys. You know, we're only closed two days a year, but we open up for those guys. (laughs) (laughs) One of the two damn days that we close, we open for them at seven in the morning. It's so bizarre because they just want sandwiches. They like literally put them in their pockets and their bags. so They can just grab a sandwich and eat it. And we want to make all this fancy stuff, you know? And they're like, no, no, no. We just want, you know, ham and cheese sandwiches on white bread. And we're like, we don't have white bread. <laughs> so the only time I ever see white bread, we have to go to the store and buy like bunny bread on um, the Monday before Mardi Gras. And we make hundreds of sandwiches and put them in little baggies for the guys. And that's what they want. And then they make their own drinks. At the bar, it's a complete disaster. Uh-huh. They like it that way. So this year, so this house float, tell us about where your house float is, and let's talk a little bit about Le Petit Bleu. It goes all the way around the corner on Coliseum and Washington and all the way down, you know, different little pieces and parts of it. But right next to all that is a little thing we now have called Le Petit Bleu. So it's our tiny little one room to go place where you can come grab commander salad. And of course, now for Mardi Gras, we had put this on before. It's called the Parade Route Po' Boy. I don't know if you know about this, Poppy, but it's it's based on Tasso Shrimp Hennigan. I used to always say my last meal was going to be an oyster po' boy dressed. Well, uh-huh. in the running now is this Parade Route Po' Boy. So we've got that, you know, of course, it's Mardi Gras. So, you know, Lally and I had to have milk punches and all that kind of stuff going on. But then, you know, we're doing muffaladas. Or you can come get a whole dinner. You can get some um, a beta braised Angus beef. Uh, we're doing a shrimp curry. So there's so many things you can come pick up. It's changing all the time. And we even have uh, several um, eat fit dishes. Well, because this year is our COVID carnival, it's not going to be a Mardi Gras like any other. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that normally it was just Pete Fountain and his half-assed marching group that yeah. got in because you all weren't open on Mardi Gras. But that's going to change this year, huh? This is so odd. You're so right. We have never been open except for the nutcases, and they're gone by like 8 or 9 in the morning. But we're going to open this year, and we're going to have some fun. Some of my friends and girlfriend are threatening to throw beads from the little room balcony, and um, <laughs> then we'll have the house float. But we're going to try to celebrate you know, kind of starting now-ish, you know, we've got the martini coming, you know. Martinis, that's a special drink that you all have uh, developed just for this Mardi Gras, huh? Yes, and you know, we have the three martinis at lunch, and, and even if you get the martini, which we're calling sidewalk side, because, you know, you might prefer new to ground or sidewalk, you still only get three per person, because that's enough, okay? Amen. But, um, so we've got that going on then we want people to celebrate their cruise. You know, I've been in Iris for like 35 years, and I'm a proud member of Iris, and we have so damn much fun, it's ridiculous. We want people to wear your crew costume to the restaurant um, <laughs> or dress up however you want, and we're going to have a king and a queen of each room. So all the way through Mardi Gras, we're going to have kings and queens rolling around. I think the Septa is a giant whisk, I saw. Anyway, it's just going to be... Silly and nonsense, and we all need some silliness and nonsense right now. Now, even though we're not going to have the usual carnival this year, the Half-Fast Walking Club, they're going to show up anyway. When are they coming? Oh, you know, the Half-Fast, they show up whenever the hell they want. Anyway, they're going to be here the Friday before Mardi Gras and Mardi Gras Day, kind of noonish. And they have their little truck and the little, their band, and they'll be playing and carrying on and doing 
God knows what. They seem to kiss people a lot, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that won't be happening this year because, of course, everything will be socially distanced and all that safely. Totally. But totally. Yeah, oh, of you course. Know we, you know, you walk by us and we take your temperature around here. We're very serious about all that. Well, it sounds to me like you all are just going to have a bang-up carnival season, and you're not going to let COVID get the best of you this year. Not going to do it. You know, come, dress up, you know, have a ball. You know, if the table size is six, we'll put another six, you know, not too far away, and it's just going to be fun. And you know New Orleans, Poppy. I mean, they're going to do Mardi Gras, so we're trying to give them a little bit of a safe outlet to do it. So we've got the house float. And then we got the food and drinks and everything going from Le Petit. So it's going to be fun. Thank you, T. It's so nice to see you. And happy carnival. Happy mind, Rob Poppy. Always good to see you, my darling. That was T. Martin of Commander's Palace. Coming up next, we get the story of a perfect food for any walking parade, even if you're a one-person crew. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Look at me, I'm filling up in clay. Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923, and from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal hot sauce. How New Orleans does flavor. Everyone's familiar with the ubiquitous New Orleans sandwich known as the poor boy. But have you ever experienced the delicious pleasure of a dirty boy? This clever sandwich was born at Brightston's restaurant in the River Bend. Frank served it for a brief time at Charlie's Seafood, a hand tradition where his ultimate childhood taste memories were created. Charlie's, named after its founder, Charlie Petrosi, was Frank's neighborhood restaurant in the New Orleans suburb of Harahan where he grew up. That's where Frank remembers learning to peel his own boiled seafood while perched in a high chair. By 2009, the building was shuttered and emptied, so he and his wife Marna, who still live in Harahan, decided to resurrect the beloved neighborhood institution. Even though seafood dominated the menu, it was here that Frank shared with the world a secret treat 
previously reserved for the kitchen staff at Brightston's, his uptown white tablecloth restaurant. Frank dubbed it the Dirty Boy. For 20 years, everyone from chef to dishwasher had snacked on the dark, rich combination of beef, pork, and liver, browned with the same seasonings you'd use in dirty rice, but without the rice. Instead, the meat mixture was stuffed into hot buttered pistolets, which became a favorite staff meal. Unfortunately, Charlie's is once again just a memory. But that doesn't mean you can't cook up your own dirty boy. Officially, Frank never shared the recipe with me, so I've conjured up a very close, if not identical, facsimile that is truly wonderful parade food. The Dirty Boys can be pre-made, wrapped in aluminum foil, and kept warm in the oven. They're perfect as a portable picnic if you're planning a drive through floats in the oaks at City Park, or perhaps a walking tour of your neighborhood's house floats. Try your own Dirty Boys by visiting our website at poppytooker.com. I'm Poppy Tooker, and Frank Brightston's Dirty Boys are real Louisiana Eats. I will buy a feather hat I will steal a cricket bat Smash some windows, make a noise Mardi Gras traditions often bring up more questions than answers. For instance, how did the king cake get its famous plastic baby? How do people celebrate carnival outside of New Orleans? These are just some of the questions that author and songwriter Jeanette Downing shares for the very youngest Louisianians in her award-winning books. Jeanette has earned many nicknames over her stunning career, from the Pied Piper of Louisiana music traditions to the musical ambassador to children. When Jeanette and I last spoke in 2019, she had some exciting news to share, the kind of news that, well, just makes you want to sing along. That's right. I have my 11th record just is coming out. 11th record? Oh, yes. my goodness. And it's called Swamp Romp, a Louisiana dance party for children. It's the first record I've done with my husband. Uh, he's a three-time Grammy Award winner, uh, Scott Billington. And I have a duet with Irma Thomas on the <gasps> record. I have a duet with James Singleton. He's playing. Uh, I know. It, it's just been Fantastic. And Joelle Savoy of the Savoy Family Band. And they're the Dukes of Dixieland, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band is on there. Um, Rebirth Brass Band is on there. And Doug Belote. You know, it's like the who's who of Louisiana music. And I'm just so honored that they came out and played on this record. Oh, my goodness. This must be like the dream of a lifetime for you. It really is. It's like my whole career came full circle. And, and to have my first record with Scott, is uh, he produced it and. um it's just been an amazing journey. Jeanette, I am so tickled to have you back here on Louisiana Eats because you are one of my favorite, favorite authors. Your work is always so food-centric. So let's get started with 
Who Got the Baby in the King Cake? What inspired you to write this book? Tell me how you come up with the concept. Well, this one, I just thought, you know, I always think about children. They always ask why and how did that happen, you know? So who got the baby in the king thing? That's a that's a colloquialism that we say all the time. But when you go other places, they don't know, what are you talking about? Is there a baby <laughs> in a king cake? Why would you put a baby in a cake? So I thought I have to explain to children, what is, why do we have a king cake baby? Baby. And why do we? Well, it's a good luck symbol. And whoever finds the little plastic baby, it's it's a little tiny thing, whoever finds their baby in their piece of king cake has to host the next party, the next king cake party. And that's just a way for New Orleanians to get around and have more parties, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, but before we continue the discussion, I mean, my goodness, this is almost like a cookbook because you explain the whole process of how to make the king cake. Let's hear the song. That sounds great. Who got the baby in the king cake? Did she find the baby in the king cake? Did he get the baby in the king cake? No, you got the baby in the king cake. What happens when you get the baby? You have to give the next party. Invite all your friends and your family to eat king cake and be merry. Let's party. It's Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. I love who got the baby in the king cake. You know, when I was little, I always heard tales of people swallowing the baby so they wouldn't have to bring a cake. Wouldn't that be oh. a disturbing thing? Well, that is not good. That is not good. <laughs> that is highly not recommended. When they used to put uh, pecans in there or a pea. Uh, or a or bean. A bean. At one time, it was a gold fava bean, I've heard. That's true. And then they, they came up with the little plastic king cake baby. And now they come in all different colors, which is really fun. Uh, and you can have more than one king cake baby because we, we love to party. So more people have the king cake baby, the more parties we have. <laughs> you never have enough king cake babies, I think. Your illustrations are so much fun. Who's responsible for them? I illustrated that one, yeah. I illustrate some of my books, not all of them, but this one is. Um, and I use cut paper collage, which is really fun. And I like to use cut paper collage because it's something that children have in their classrooms or at home. And they just cut the shapes and glue and make three-dimensional um, images out of them. What exactly is this story about, Johnette? Well, you know, in Louisiana, we have not one type of Mardi Gras, but two types of Mardi Gras. We have the Mardi Gras in New Orleans area with all the floats, but there's also a rural Mardi Gras out in the Cajun Prairie, and it's Cure de Mardi Gras. And they don't have floats per se. What they do is they ride around on horseback and they go from each house begging for ingredients to make a communal gumbo. And at the end of the chicken run, they call it, um, they have a big party and everyone eats gumbo. Well, that brave chicken on the chase. How does he warn everybody about the revelers on the way with the intent of the gumbo pot? <laughs> he Well, he sings out, mumbo jumbo, stay out of the gumbo. Mumbo jumbo, stay out of the gumbo. 
Does he succeed? <laughs> he does. And that's a repeated refrain throughout the whole book. He does. He warns them all. And at the end of the book, the Cajun revelers, there are no animals to go in the gumbo. And they have to eat a delicious pot of gumbo serbs. Gumbo serbs? <laughs> well, you know, I am looking through the book and it's kind of hilarious because that chicken, that cheeky chicken, he's warning the shrimp. He's warning the pigs. Who all does he reach in the nick of time? It's a duck, a goose, pigs, cows, everybody. All the shrimp, shrimp oysters, oysters, even yeah. the oysters. He had to sing to them on the oyster beds. That's right. And the crawfish. <laughs> and it, the book is illustrated by um, Jennifer Lindsley, and she's from Thibodeau, Louisiana. So she she did a great job of making that that little chicken look really fun and and all the animals and, and all the masking because they do masking there too, but it's different from our masking in New Orleans. So they end up with a gumbo zerbs, which that's of right. course is that green gumbo that's really a Creole tradition. So this must have been news for those Cajun folks. That's right. They had to learn about our great vegetarian gumbo here in New Orleans. <laughs> and interestingly, this was your first vegetarian story in essence. That's true. And also it's funny because I'm moving toward more of a plant-based diet, about 90%. And that's really tough for a person from New Orleans. To <laughs> it is. But I do about 90% plants. So I thought, and I've had many parents say, well, we love your books. Like if they're a vegetarian family, they say, we love your books, but they're all about meat eating. You know, so you, have you ever had a thought about doing a vegetarian book? And I said, ah. So that's perfect. This is it. Gumbo Zerbs. Well, do you know what I really love about your books is that you tell our story authentically and accurately to all of those poor children who don't get to live in New Orleans. <laughs> I, I bet you have some stories about um, expats in various parts of the world who make sure they're raising little New Orleanians with your help. That's true. People tell me, oh, your book is going to Minnesota. It's going to France. I had a, a little family uh, from France, and they lived here in New Orleans for a while, and they came to all of my shows. And then they moved back to France, and now they send me pictures of their kids, you know, holding my books and singing those songs. It's really sweet. And you're as international as your books are. You go everywhere with them. Yeah, I've been fortunate, you know, because everyone loves Louisiana culture. So I've performed on five continents. And uh, they want my music, uh, my Louisiana heritage, you know, the music for, um, and the books that all represent Louisiana culture. They must not always understand the language. How do you manage that? Yeah, well, like you know, food <laughs> is the best language, and they certainly understand that. Grab your brother and your sister, too. Ow. Show your partner what you can do. Ow. We'll be dancing the whole night through. Swamp, romp, swamp, romp. Johnette Downing, multi-award-winning musician and children's book author, speaking with us in 2019. Her album, Swamp Romp, is available from her website, johnettedowning.com, and everywhere good tunes are sold. Has Mardi Gras ever been canceled before due to a pandemic? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back.
I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes available everywhere. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, just 40 minutes from New Orleans, Louisiana North Shore's Tammany Taste features the bounty of the bayou and rich culinary culture from award-winning chefs, mom-and-pop restaurants, specialty bakers, and creative mixologists. To discover more, request the newly released Explore the North Shore Inspiration Guide for local stories, custom itineraries, and event information at louisiananorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, where New Orleans has come to play and get away for more than a century. Here's this week's culinary quiz question. Brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Has Mardi Gras ever been canceled before due to a pandemic? At a time when it was not understood how and why yellow fever flourished in the Crescent City, the outbreak that occurred in 1878 devastated the city when over 4,000 people died from the disease. Despite that, the Louisiana State Board of Health refused to declare it an epidemic. Out of concern for public health, Comus, the Twelfth Night Revelers, and Momus did not parade that year. Yet Rex and the Funny Forty Fellows did, causing then Republican Governor Pinchback to blast that behavior in his newspaper, the Weekly Louisianian. But when the Spanish flu struck in 1918, things were very different indeed. Between October of 1918 and April of 1919, New Orleans reported over 54,000 cases of influenza, resulting in nearly 3,500 deaths. Parades and balls were canceled that year, but smaller carnival organizations did hold impromptu street parades, and the Loyal Order of Moose actually held a ball mosque on Mardi Gras night. There's no information about what today we refer to as community spread resulting from these activities. But be smart. Let's make sure this year, when we mask for Mardi Gras, we're all wearing masks covering our nose and mouth not the usual kind of carnival disguise. Let's all stay safe this year at Mardi Gras. Don't worry, we'll make up for it, God willing, in 2022. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats.
Hi, my name is Sally Asher, and I am the writer of The Mermaids of New Orleans. I'm Melissa Vandiver, and I illustrated The Mermaids of New Orleans. Carnival season is a time when we all get to suspend our disbelief and have some fun. In 2019, author Sally Asher and illustrator Melissa Vandiver visited our studio to introduce us to some magical aquatic humanoids who come ashore every Mardi Gras day. That's right, mermaids are very real, and if you're perceptive enough, you may just spot one on the street come Fat Tuesday. Sally began by describing how she first happened upon the mermaid community of New Orleans. A couple years ago, I learned about the underwater mermaid culture that happened in New Orleans. And as I was thinking about it, I realized just as people are different from all over the cities they live, and each city has different food and culture and traditions, if they're lucky, why wouldn't the mermaids do the same? All mermaids aren't alike. Tell me about those mermaids in the Mississippi River. Well, the ones that I wrote about in the Mississippi River prefer New Orleans over all the other ports and cities, and that's where they want to be because of the music, which is bass band music. They dance to the music of their local bass bands. Who else? Who else do they love on land? Well, they love Big Frida. (laughs) They love Big Frida. They have a lot of local icons that they love and admire, uh, such as Chris Owens and... Peggy Scott Laborde, and Margaret Orr, and Leah Chase, and of course, Poppy Tooker. Oh my goodness. Well, I have to say, Sally Asher, this was one of the greatest honors of my entire life. Sally, you made me and my buddy Leah Chase into mermaids. Tell everybody about my personal appearance in the book. Well, mermaids live in trident houses, which are designed if you throw a trident from one end of the house to the other, none of the prongs break, much like shotgun houses. And Leah Chase and Poppy Tooker are hanging out on the front stoop, just chatting as the neighbors go by. The mermaids swim by, they decorate, the children mermaids playing in the street, just hanging out with your friend, enjoying the afternoon. How do mermaids come on land? Well, all mermaids across the world are typically allowed on land one day a year. And so New Orleans mermaids, of course, choose the best day of the year, which is Mardi Gras Day. But in some ways, it'd be much harder to pick them out of the crowd because of all the sparkles and the costume and the glitter. Absolutely. But mermaids fit in very, very well and enjoy all the festivities of the day. All right. At this point, we have woven a fantastical tale But I cannot imagine having someone hand me this story and say, draw me a picture of this. Melissa, how in the world did you do this? Well, I really wanted to. So so I was really excited. So that helped. When Sally and I first talked about it, I was like on a high for like two days. Like, I really want I really want to do this. But I've just been drawing and painting my whole life. So somebody telling me draw this, paint this is is just normal for me. And then somebody telling me draw this or paint this very quickly by when I need it, how I want it is also something I'm used to. So, Well, but Melissa, I don't know. Have, have you had much experience with portraiture in the past? Because that seems to be an extra challenge. 
Um, that definitely is a challenge. If I was just making generic mermaids, that would be one thing. But almost every single face <laughs> you see in the book is a real person who exists. <laughs> if you were watching me paint, you can see me having pictures of people on my phone while I'm sitting there doing their little faces. Um, but I've been doing human portraits my whole life. It's my first love. And I don't get enough of a chance to do them that often. People don't buy portraits like they did in the old days before photographs. So it was kind of exciting to actually get back into humans because normally I'm painting people's pets. One of the fabulous things about the book are the itsy-bitsy, crazy little details that Sally made you paint into these pictures. Now, what were some of her craziest details? Um, I think some of the ones that I viewed as the craziest and I mean this with lots of love, are the, like, names of cookbooks in the background of a scene. <laughs> I had to paint those with brushes that I reserved to paint nail art on my fingernails because they were so small. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but if Melissa could do it, she did it. And she did a great job. She did. And when you go out, your, your mermaid get up is pretty serious. Melissa and I go all the way. When we do when we do signings, we go as mermaids. You also offer to help turn little kids into mermaids on the spot. I was touching up my glitter when I saw a little girl longingly look at my glitter. Oh. And I said, would you like me? Is it okay with your parents? Would you like me to, to put some on you? And she said yes. And from then on, I would always have three to four little pots of glitter whenever I do a signing so I can mermaidize any boy, girl, adult that would like to. Also, you've had some reactions from some people in the book. You heard from Big Frida. Yes. My friend Jennifer and I have made it a mission to have everyone who's featured in the mermaid book autograph their picture. And some are a little bit more difficult to obtain than others. And Big Frida was doing a wine signing of her new rosé at uh, a wine store. And so <laughs> Jennifer and I bought a bottle and stood in line. And I don't think I had gotten permission from her representatives. I don't know if she knew anything about it. I don't know if they told her. Uh-huh. And so I was a little nervous. I didn't know if she knew. And Jennifer went up and said, will you sign this? She took the opening hit for me. Will you, will you sign here? And she seemed kind of surprised. And then I said, admit it. Well, I, I, I wrote the book. And she was absolutely thrilled and gave her a copy of it and, and loved it. And then someone on Instagram who does uh, basically takes pictures of her daughter reading the books, different children's books. Oh. Very sweet. And shot this amazing picture of her daughter with her mouth open, similar to the expressions that Melissa and I see at signings, that says, the moment you see Big Frida as a character in your mermaid book. Oh. And it was it was just, it was lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And um, I'll be looking for mermaids this Mardi Gras day. Thank you. Thank you. Emerald City. That was Sally Asher and Melissa Vandiver. Their book is called The Mermaids of New Orleans. This fish tale begins where most fish tales end. It's a school of food fish. 
playing hooky from school to get me caught. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where we have 10 years of Louisiana Eats editions available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and videos, too. And if you like our show, please rate it on your preferred podcast platform. If you missed our Mardi Gras cooking class, you can also find access to the video at poppytooker.com. We'll be releasing the footage for Loon de Gras. Plenty enough time to get the menu ready for this year's Fat Tuesday. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta. Handcrafted in Louisiana from semolina wheat and air-dried over rods in wooden cellars, D'Agostino pasta is made just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. D'Agostino's all-natural, preservative-free pasta is available in traditional forms, as well as their signature alligator, crawfish, and fleur-de-lis-shaped pastas. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch in the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner and producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris. And to our business manager and social media maven Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.